My name is Ian Boswell. I was a world tour professional cyclist for seven years. Skyrider from the USA is a fighter. Well, Ian Boswell is turning up the cranks. Also the host of this fine podcast, Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. The Breakfast with Boz podcast dives into the world of endurance sports, whether it's cycling, multi-sport, running, anything that inspires us to get out and move, we cover right here on Breakfast with Boz. Let's get cooking on Breakfast with Boz. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I am your host, Ian Boswell, with a festive breakfast this morning. Breakfast, as sometimes is the case, was leftover dinner from last night. We had a rather large Thanksgiving turkey this year that has kind of been sitting around. I don't want to say that in a bad way, but we had a big turkey. We had uh, turkey on Thanksgiving. We made a turkey soup. We made some turkey sandwiches. And with the remaining turkey from the bird, we made, well, I will say my wife made a turkey pot pie for dinner last night we had some neighbors over and we did not finish it so that turkey pot pie ended up on my breakfast plate this morning it was followed by another pie also left over from last night and that is my favorite pie a pumpkin pie i know that pumpkin pie is a very seasonal thing and maybe we like it more so this time of year because we don't get it the rest of the year but my wife once again is the baker in the house and she put together a delicious pumpkin pie not too sweet and we did use some of our own pumpkin from our garden which uh, definitely gives it more of a brown color rather than that bright orange color of the pumpkin pies you sometimes find in grocery stores but very delicious, and I am fueled up and ready to dive in to today's episode of Breakfast with Boz. And I'm excited to share this episode with you today. Uh, over the last, goodness, six weeks now, um, I have been sharing episodes with different guests or been speaking with different guests about kind of the evolving and changing landscape of gravel racing and the gravel scene. And I think that really kind of comes to a point here in my conversation today with my friend Marshall Opal. A couple weeks ago, I spoke to Ted King, followed by Sarah Sturm, and it kind of got me thinking that there's a theme going on here. And I decided to bring on my buddy Marshall for today's episode because Marshall has a different perspective than, and also participates in gravel in a different arena than myself, than Ted, and then Sarah and yet still really admires the fact that people at the front are racing. He thinks that's important. He thinks that that needs to keep happening. So we kind of discuss more people who are in the middle of these events, people who are at the back of the events. Um, obviously, we both are advocates of huge amounts of people on bikes, riding, gathering for these amazing events that have uh, really taken off over the last few years. So my buddy Marshall and I... Uh, sat down. He's out of Montana. I'm here in Vermont. And we recorded a conversation that uh, oftentimes are conversations we have all the time. Uh, and so it was easy for us to uh, just pick up the phone, call each other, and kind of jam on some ideas we've been discussing over the last several months, some ideas that Marshall has, some ideas that I have. And this has kind of led me to a future episode of Breakfast with Boz, where after you've listened to this episode and heard some of our ideas, 
I would like you all to find a link in the podcast description, wherever you get this podcast, you will find a link in the podcast description that will take you to a Google form page where you can then upload an audio file of some ideas that you have around how to improve and enhance your experience at gravel events. And we love to hear from all of you listeners out there, not just those of you who have been to a lot of gravel events, but those of you who maybe come from a different arena and have found cool things that work in running or triathlon or Spartan racing. Um, Feel free to share an audio file with us and we will hopefully piece it together for a future episode. So enough of me rambling. Let's dive in to today's episode with my guest and my friend, Marshall Opal. Well, I guess for the uh, third installment of my, I guess, mini-series, Solving Gravel is what what it's become, I uh, bring in my buddy, Marshall Opal, who, very different than Ted King and Sarah Sturm, uh, does not race gravel at an elite level anymore. I guess you did, Marshall, for a while. Um, You've been on the podcast a couple times. You actually kind of were the founder of Breakfast with Boz way back in 2018, so people who listen should be familiar with you. But you have listened to the conversations I had with Ted and Sarah, and much to my surprise, um, have a very different perspective of where gravel I guess is going and the reasons why and maybe uh, differing opinions. So before we get into that, um, these podcasts have been very well received by listeners. So I'm I'm sure everyone's excited to hear what Marshall Opal has to say. Um, But can you first share a little bit about what you did in 2019, which I feel like adds a lot of context to your experience of the gravel scene. And I also think 2019 was a very... Looking back in hindsight, I was not racing gravel in 2019, but a very pivotal year in gravel because that... You wish you were. <laughs> well, because in my mind, that was kind of the year that gravel hit like a world stage. You know, we think that's the year, like we saw some world tour riders, you know, Pete Stetna kind of jumped into some races. We saw all of a sudden Unbound was on all these cycling media websites. There was more content being produced. There was kind of this it was kind of the first time that I guess maybe the larger cycling public had seen gravel racing. Um, People who were maybe road bikers or mountain bikers or, you know, just fans of cycling started to see gravel for the first time, I would say in 2019, it really kind of exploded. And what were you doing that year? Cause you were kind of following the whole, you're the man in the van seeing pretty much the whole evolution of that season. Yeah. I got, pretty much the coolest opportunity I could ever dream of landed in my lap. There was a lot that led to it leading, landing in my lap, but um, Kaylee Fretz from Cycling Tips called me up and he said, hey, we, we want to know more about this gravel space. Um, yeah, because there just hadn't been a lot of media covering gravel. Um, and it was just just new, unknown thing. And they're like, there were a bunch of brands wanted to, you know, had all these new products and wanted to, um, there's just so much interest, um, in this gravel space. And he asked me to live in a built out van from April through October and attend gravel races, um, as a, 
I was, he was like, you can ride them, you can interview people, you can race them, you can just storytell, try out new products, just like sample the scene. And honestly, like <laughs> that opportunity just, um, yeah, I was so grateful for that opportunity. It's just insane. It felt like I, I won the golden ticket of my entire life. Like, I'm like, are you kidding me? You're going to pay me to do this? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and okay. I, I so, mean, I guess like looking back on that now, like that kind of is where gravel was though. There were all these brands and media, everyone was curious about it. It wasn't necessarily this established thing. It was like, what is this? We need to learn about this, whether it's brands, media, you know, even athletes. Yeah. 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 And I, I got a cool sampling from events across the country, events big and small, um, riding with some of the fastest riders, riding in the middle of the pack, back of the pack. Um, it was sweet because he wasn't, you know, I wasn't in gravel as a pro racer. Um, I have a like racing background, but I was given this opportunity to just, yes, sample the scene. And I, pretty quickly I saw the beauty and the beast um, that is gravel was pretty apparent um, from the beginning. And yeah, just a few months in, I was already like, okay, this is sweet. It's amazing. It's so awesome. And with some tweaks, it could be better. Um, and why bet? Like, let's grow this thing. Let's have more, let's make this, it's already open and welcoming, but let's like, let's just keep holding this door open and bring a bunch of people into this really groovy space. Well, I mean, and you were at Unbound, which I guess is, you know, kind of the, the crown jewel of gravel. You were there in 2019, but then you went back again this year for the first time since, I guess, since 2019. What did you notice was different between the two events? I mean, you were on the start line with me in sandals and a Hawaiian t-shirt, which <laughs> didn't happen in 2019. But um, I feel like your your perspective of seeing those two years in particular without kind of seeing, you know, 2021 and I guess even, you know, other races around that, what did you notice was different? Because you also, you also saw a different event at Unbound than I saw. I had no idea really what the hell it was in 2019. I was just like... 200 miles and i didn't know if it was going to be all gravel or what i didn't know what it was just like this is nuts um and i think something that was just so apparent um, to me in 2019 was this community of people that were um it felt like uh what's that gravel or what's that uh motorcycle rally Sturgis like it just like all these people come into this place that have this shared interest um that's kind of just whack like what the hell are we all doing out here this is nuts um but I, yeah I remember in 2019 starting out I was pretty dang fit and wanted to just kind of see what I was capable of and just like the sun was coming up in the east and you know we I felt like we were this herd of bison rolling across the prairie and Oh, it was amazing. Um, and to contrast that 2022 unbound was also, you know, there was so much just energy that morning. I re well, I remember rolling up to the start pretty similar to 2019 where I was like, the race starts at six in the morning. I think I rolled over there at like 
five fifty five, <laughs> um, and I just remember I went to the front just to kind of see. I don't know that I really. It, it wasn't my plan to start up with you guys, but um, I thought it was funny how it was so serious this year. Like I was trying to like wiggle my bike through the front row to get back. You were in like the second or third row. And they were just like not giving me an inch. Like, who's this poser? Um, which fair play. Like, I did not belong there. Um, but I wanted to get a, a taste of what it was like throughout the spectrum of the field. It was high level, high octane. I got dropped from you guys in the first block. It, like, you got. It was just like, whoa. Okay, you guys are gone. Um, and I quickly moved back in the pack. Um, so it's hard for me to compare because I did ride in the front in 2019 for a while. Um, so I don't really know uh, how to compare the two. It was a very different experience this year than 2019. Yeah, you approached it differently. When well, you said that you said a good a good line there that in 2019 you saw the beauty and the beast. And I think, you know, we still, you and I both still see the beauty of gravel riding, you know, just the you know, the camaraderie of bringing people together on the bicycle is something that you and I both really love and both see the value in and both, you know, it's brought us together, you know, and kept us together for the last 15, 16 plus years of our life is, is really the bicycle is what's kept us connected. But the beast, I mean, what did you see in 2019? Or I guess even what do you see now that is the beast? Yeah. Because there is, it has changed. You know, we see, you know, different series going on. We see athletes, this is their full-time you know, job now and they're, they're full focused of their career. This is their, you know, unbound all of a sudden has become some athletes tour de France equivalent. Um, which yeah. I guess even, even back in the day it was, you know, it's funny after I spoke to Ted, Dan Hughes, who won unbound four times, I think he won like the first four editions reached out and was like, Oh, it's funny to hear you guys talk about how gravels change. You know, he did it when it was like eight people on the start line. Yeah. What do you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it is a little bit ironic that we're talking about this, but I think that, you know, <laughs> we have our vision and of, of what we've seen and how it's changed. And I think it's, it's relevant to see what has changed and what's, you know, where we think this is going. Yeah. How do we move forward in a good way? How, like, can anything scale um, is just a valid question. I think probably no, just like <laughs> things grow and they lose their, they lose what's special about them. Um, so there, yeah, <laughs> I think that it's important to not be just a hater on if you want to go there and race your face off and just dend it with everything you've got like that's sweet. I think that how we go about events and how we ride needs a, um, a refresh. We need a reestablish some norms around how the riding is done and i think that ted said in your earlier podcast like it's hard to write unwritten rules like maybe people something that people seem to love about gravel is that it's it's doesn't have rules and that's we don't want usa cycling and the uci telling us how to do this but the human is um you know, and we do, when we don't have rules, we can act in some pretty unfavorable ways. And maybe it's time now that gravel's like this adolescent 
um, teen, it needs to, now we need some rules and some known, we need some just culture um, within the groups of like, how are we going to do this? How do we ride? And I just think when you watch a professional road race now, it's just insane to see the crashes and the risks that they take. And, you know, crashing out in the Kansas Prairie is a really dumb thing to do because there isn't an ambulance there to scoop you up. And I just remember in 2019, um, I was doing the Oregon Trail stage race and it was the fifth day and it ended on this massive climb. And I was like, I'm going to win this thing. Um, not the overall race, but I felt like I could win that day. And I was riding in the front group feeling great. Um, and we, but we were in this really dusty section and I couldn't see my line. Um, and I was just, but I had this race mentality of like, I don't want to lose the wheel. Cause then I'm going to have to work harder to catch back up. I'm going to stay tight on the person in front of me. And I crashed and broke my collarbone. Um, and I was totally just out of the game, out of the race. Um, had to take a few weeks off. And I was so bummed out. And I remember as soon as I crashed, I was like laying against the base of this tree and I pulled out my GoPro and filmed myself. And I said, this is what happens when you gravel race. Um, we need to be gravel riding. And I still think that gravel racing can exist, but it's like how there isn't a, an ambulance behind the group. Like there isn't that support, you know, it's this, self-sufficient you know when you're in a backcountry adventure crashing is a really bad thing to have happen and um, i just think the mentality of i'm gonna take risks i'm gonna it's this scarcity mindset um that needs to be checked and otherwise i think gravel as it grows up needs to have the same kind of safety measures as road racing and uh yeah well and that's a really good yeah and that's a really good point you bring up and it's something that i think i have noticed and i think you know when you look back to the early days of you know some of these longer gravel events it was really about survival you know and people of course knew they could ride 200 miles or 160 miles or whatever course it may be you know even something like here in vermont the overland you know, it's shorter, but it's still a challenge. And like finishing was an accomplishment. And I feel like for the yeah. people in the front now, finishing is no longer an accomplishment. It's how fast can you go? How efficient can you be? How fast can your, you know, aid stations be? Which is all fun and entertaining, you know, especially if you're in that front front end. But like you said, when people come to this mentality of road racing, when you do have this immense infrastructure set up around you, you think you have an ambulance behind you, you have a medical car. I mean, that is a good point that if you crash at certain points in any gravel event, you could be 45 minutes from the nearest town, from the nearest ambulance. Um, and you know, unfortunately in the world of any sport or anything we do, there's, there's danger and you could be riding super easy at the back with your friends and hit a rock and crash and break your collarbone. But the more we push the limits of the speed, and like you said, people who are just hanging on, you know, trying to hold that wheel because if they can just make it over this hill, there's a long downhill, they'll make it to the finish or they'll make it to the next, you know, kind of easy point in the race. People are going to be taking more risks. And with that comes, you know, more consequence. And, you know, there's not the infrastructure there at the events. And I think that mindset of kind of, you know, communal kind of survival has also vanished and, and to a degree. I mean, where it's not like, hey guys, like, 
let's all make it through this section safely and we can race on the other side. You know, now it's like, hey, I'm a really good bike handler. I'm going to try to push the pace here because I know Ian's at the back and he's horrible at right. going down rocky descents. And we can try to like, if we can get a gap on him, then, you know, he's going to have to work hard uh-huh. to come back. Um, which is, it's, it's fair racing. You know, I mean that we see that in professional road racing now where people now use descents or, you know, wet descents to find an advantage on competitors who maybe aren't as skilled in that, you know, domain, but is the race as a whole set up to support that? I'd say probably not. I mean, with, with the increase of people racing, there is also more people out on course supporting and cheering and like, you know, at different random corners that aren't aid stations, you know, cheering people on or giving them a time split. So there are more people out on course. And I assume that if there was an emergency, people could, you know, be there to help you. But at the same time, you have, you know, two, three, 4,000 people out on course, potentially riding, you know, the opposite direction that you're trying to drive to get to someone who's injured. Um, and those people who also don't necessarily know what's happened or where you're trying to go. And so they're screaming at you to get off the road. Hey, there's a bike race here. Like, get off the road. It's like, well, I'm trying to go rescue someone who's, you know, a mile behind you. Yeah. You just had a really bad crash. Um, yeah. And so it is something that I think needs to be addressed. And, you know, one thing that I think we've both discussed um, is potentially like at an event like Unbound or SBT, would it make sense to hold an elite professional race you know, most of these events that are on a Saturday or Sunday, but to hold the elite event the day before or the day after kind of the mass parta- mass participation side of it, which is would allow a little bit more of this kind of flexibility. But the magic thing about these events is that you are there in a huge group on the start line and yeah. you can try to hang on as long as you can, or you can, you know, you can catch people out on course. And like, that is the beauty of it is that everyone is there together. So the minute you start breaking that up, you lose that, you know, kind of that participation, you know, mindset of everyone being together with a shared experience at the same day, same conditions, you know, more or less same time. Well, okay. I have an idea. Um, and this is not a fully baked idea. I think that it is just, it's just that an idea. The pro men start, say it unbound, three or more hours behind everyone else. And I think that it's not a problem-free solution. Um, It creates new, different problems. But basically, okay, here's like, I think that we're at a point now where we need to flip the lights on and talk about like, okay, what's going on here? Let's like let's have some like focused conversations about what this is, what this looks like, how we're, how we're going to treat this. And then let's turn the lights back off and go back to partying. Um, I think that one of the benefits of having the men start um, that far behind is the pro women get a more, I, I think it's, maybe better for the pro women's field. I think the pro women would set a better precedent at the front of the group. Um, cause I think they're just better. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think they're not, it's, um, it's more it's still not, about the race. It's not about finding it's the strongest rider still going to pull ahead and win. It's not trying to find little sneaky advantages over your competition. 
Right. But they would still be with riders with fast amateur men would be up there with the pro women. So it, they wouldn't be separate from men. Um, so that would still be an, a, a situation to navigate. Well, and I guess one thing you and I have both discussed, and I guess it kind of came into play for our event here in Peachum, was like, how do you get everyone to kind of be at the finish at the same time? You know, because that's really the beauty exactly. of these events is like, if you're at the, you know, when I finished Unbound this year, it was, you know, nine hours. It was nine hours before the last place finisher. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a whole, it's double. You know, I had gone back to the yeah. house and showered and eaten and then eaten again and then gone to a bar and then come back and eaten. It's like, it's, a, it's <laughs> almost a completely different day by the time yeah. the last person finishes. And one thing that is cool is when you have this energy at the finish line where everyone's kind of there together. And so if you kind yeah. of doing this staggered start where, you know, let's say, you know, people who are just trying to finish in whatever, 17 hours, they start at, you know, 6 a.m. And then it's kind of staggered based off your time in reverse order. So, you know, maybe the elite men start three hours behind, the elite women start 30 minutes before them. And that also kind of solves right. the problem of, you know, different women in the, that category have talked about, do they want a, their independent start? Do they want to be in a group start? But right. they would also then have the opportunity in the first, you know, two hours of the race to actually see their competition. I mean, because it, it just puzzles me at the moment that you don't know who the heck is ahead of you and who's behind you. I mean, I don't know. I honestly don't understand how the women keep track of what place right. they're in. You know, there's 4,000 yeah. people and, you know, everyone kind of looks the same in a helmet and sunglasses. You know, you can't really identify like, you know, am uh -huh. I in 10th place or am I off the front by five minutes? Um, mm -hmm. so it would give them at least that opportunity. And then of course, you know, at some point groups would be passing each other and it would allow this, you know, people still to be working together and the race would be thinned out by that point. So yes, you're going to have this new issue of more, you know, riders who started further behind passing everyone and the people who are, you know, dealing with mechanicals and whatnot, but it also allows the opportunity for those people who started at 6am to then see the speed and to like, Yes. Interact with the people at the front of the race. Um, yeah. Which I think is cool. You know, I think that I think people really do genuinely also enjoy that aspect of seeing, you know, the fastest people race rather than if they start at the back of the pack, they know they're going to take longer. They may never see, they never see them. the top, you know, 10 male and female riders on course. Yeah. You know, I was thinking that it is problematic having these super fast riders coming through slower riders. And I was like, okay, what if all the pros had to have these friendly bells on their bikes and there was some sort of chime that you had to do? And it, it, instead of it being a negative thing, it was something, first of all, you're hours into the event and you're anticipating these riders coming behind you. And it's ideally like a positive experience. You get to see some of the best bike racers um, doing their thing. And you're, you know, something that was so fun for me at Unbound this year I, this is, I don't like, this isn't really allowed. It's not allowed what I did, but I did it anyways. Um, I started with the 200, but I had no intention of doing the 200. I went the course of the 100 and I had started an hour ahead of the, um, the 100. And so I knew they were coming. And as they, I saw them from behind, like, here they come and I got in my drops and shifted down and jumped in the group. And it was so fun to try to hang with them. I rode with them for maybe an hour um, and then let them carry on. Um, 
slash you know, it got dropped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however you want to look at it, but it was a cool way for me to jump in the race. And yeah, I think if people can catch on and jump on the group, sweet, jump on, hop in. Um, then it, that's another issue of then, okay, are you then contributing to the pace? I think though, no, just sit in the back or just be, yeah, if you can jump on that train, do it. Um, and if you can take a pull sick, if you sit in, if you're going to sit on the back, that's fine. You're not going to contest the win anyways. You're not a whatever. Um, I think that would be a cool way to be a part of the race. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I've really enjoyed about gravel racing is that like the knowledge that someone like I have or Sarah Sturm or Ted King, you know, like we are happy to share that knowledge if people ask, but sometimes the best way to learn is through observation. You know, so if it's your first time doing a big gravel event and you've never seen a pace line or you've never seen, but you're able to like, you know, you hear the, you hear that bell ring and you know that the group's coming (laughs) and you get to see them, you see, get to see the front group op, you know, operate in that, you know, pace line or whatever they're doing, you know, the hand signals they're using the, you know, where they're eating and drinking. Like that is so educational, you know, and and it's something that's really hard to replicate in, you know, just on a group ride or, you know, in training, like when you get to see the best athletes at their peak performing at the biggest events, that's when you also observe and learn. And then it kind of raises the level of everyone, you know, everyone's Mm -hmm. learning and observing. I mean, I do think with this strategy or this kind of concept, there is, there, there will be some things, quirks to be worked out. And I guess this is one thing that I've had conversations with other people about is that, kind of now is the time to experiment in gravel. You know, now is the yes. time for different events to be like, hey, we're going to, you know, whether it's all the events come together and one of them says, hey, we're going to try to do the elite race and the, you know, the mass participation mass participation race on a separate day. Okay, this event is going to yeah. try this staggered start. This event is going to try, you know, okay, women are going to start first and then the men and then you know, whatever they may do. But they, totally. and, and for also for, the participants, the public, the media, for people to realize, okay, this is like a grace period. We're not going to yeah. trash, you know, trash the event organizer for trying this thing. Like, and yeah. I think that's kind of the fear is that people are worried about trying something that doesn't work. And it's like, Hey, we have yeah. this awesome sport and it's figuring itself out. And we need, I feel like there, there needs to be things that are okay to experiment with, to try to see yeah. how we can make it better. Totally. Yeah, and I think that's one of the nice things about gravel is it's still in this malleable phase where it's like we don't really it doesn't have a strong um it doesn't have deep roots and people would say well that's not gra-. like there's gonna be haters um but I think that if we can just be open and honest about hey we're trying to make this better for everybody let's like let's make this more approachable um, let's grow the sport. And I think that what we need to do though, is have these conversations and I want to hear more ideas. Like maybe this is a dumb idea, but like, tell me yours and exactly like, let's try this stuff out and let's sample what would work. And, um, <laughs> that's how we evolve the sport in a good way. Because if we leave it as is, I think that one of the, one of the key issues I see is, the ultra competitive vibe at the front of a race like unbound is contagious in a way that it spreads through the group. So when I, this year at unbound, you know, I started out with you on the front lines 
And then I worked my way through, but it, there was way too deep. Did that, that atmosphere of competition went way too far back to people that are just there to ride the, ride the ride, um, ride the race. They had, there was just this like intensity about that morning. It's like, look, you're going to be out here all day long. Let's just take a big old breath. Let's look around. Let's eat some snacks. Let's say what's up. Like there was like, it was so quiet um, for the first two hours, you know, as people were really like, people just passed me all morning. Cause I was like, I was riding at a pace I wanted to ride. Honestly, I was like, look, it's six 30 in the morning. Like I'm just, I'm riding along, but people were just blowing by me. And, but it was not a friendly what's up atmosphere. It was like, ah, it was battle. And I think there's a time for that. It's in the last hour, then you battle. If you have something left, then send it. But like, it was not, you know, I, and I was, and I just kept having this inner dialogue of like, this could be better. Um, and that's where I was actually really inspired by Alison Tetrick and her race against the sun movement of like, she was bringing her experience in gravel to a group that needed it. Um, so that she was showing people how to ride, showing them how to, um, how to be a good wheel. And, uh, it was just awesome to have her back, um, amongst the people, um, showing us how to do it. And, uh, we need more of that. So. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I do have my own idea that I would like to pitch. And again, these are very much ideas. Yes. We love, I guess we would both love to like continue on doing podcasts around this subject and bringing on different people who have different ideas and perspectives. Um, I was just listening to a rich role podcast with Malcolm Gladwell talking about like high school cross country and how like it really favors the people at the front because you only take the time off the top five athletes score. If you're 20th place, your time, you're essentially not participating in the team. And so what if it was maybe more of a, if there was maybe a team category at unbound where, you know, you link up mm -hmm. like a, you know, an elite male an elite female, you know, a younger rider, a first timer, a beginner. And like, yeah. okay, so now what is your collective time for five of you? And, you know, because then this, uh -huh. like, you, if you're strong, you can still take more polls, you can help people. And, of course, this, like, kind of changes the experience for everyone. But as an elite rider, you're sharing your knowledge. For a beginner, you're getting yeah. an incredible amount of, you know, experience in one single ride. And, you know, maybe you could right. potentially even get together the week beforehand and do some, you know, training, right. and you, even months beforehand and do some like seminars. Like, okay, guys, here's what, here's what our strategy is going to be. Here's how we're going to approach the aid stations, um, which could be, and maybe it could be a whole separate category at some of these events where they have a team category and you try to link up, you know, some elite riders with some beginner riders. And it's something that I would love, I would love to be part of something like that where it's like, Hey, your whatever yeah, the team share captain. your knowledge and experience yes um so an idea maybe for some event organizer um my other thing that i was going to say is you kind of mentioned this long period of time with you drifting back through the pack and you and i have both uh -huh. spoken about this that you know there's a pointy end that's only going to get more pointy and there's a back end yeah. of these events that are just there for the party and for the experience and they're just trying to finish and i yeah. feel like what is actually growing the most in gravel is this middle no man's land <laughs> you know where they're 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 not riding they're not racing they're not they're not you know there's no way they're going to win but they're also not fully 
enjoying the experience. And I feel like that's like kind of the danger. And I guess when I look at my gravel, I don't say career, but my time in gravel, there's been plenty of events that I've raced and there's been some events that I have, you know, ridden support or this year at Rude from Vermont, I rode with a bunch of friends and like, I didn't even know, you know, we were probably in the last 30 people, but it didn't matter. We were just, we stopped at all the rest stops. We helped people fix flat tires. And it's like, there's, you know, whatever people call it, the mullet protocol, there's these two different kind of events happening at the same time, but there's all these people in the middle that I feel like aren't getting either experience, you know, and they potentially could ride faster if they rode more steady in a group, you know, especially in the first couple hours of a long event. Um, because they're just, you said that energy is contagious of what's happening at the front and people hear it and they read in the days before a big event, like, Oh, this is their strategy or this is the speed they're going to go. So I'm going to try to hold that for the first hour and a half. Well, what are you going to do for the remaining 13 and a half hours? <laughs> you know, it's like trying to figure out that, you know, and, and maybe something like this kind of, you know, I recently did a, a 5k run and they staggered people on the start based off what time you think you're going to run. And I think Unbound actually does that. Maybe some other events like, Hey, do you think you're going to be a 12 mile an hour average speed or 15 mile an hour average speed? And you kind of line up accordingly so hopefully you can find people who are going to ride at a similar pace with you and actually make a group. I mean, cause that's one of the beauties of cycling more so than any other sport is like riding in a group and drafting and being, you know, the help you can provide to the people around you and the help you can receive is so amazing in the sport of cycling that that should be taught and shared and embraced more than I think sometimes it is in gravel. And what you're talking about, Ian, is gravel riding. You're not talking about racing. Like, the group ride is the highest form of existence. It is so fun to go out in a group where you're not worried about crashing. Um, and there's no stress. Importantly, there's no stress. Um, it doesn't mean that you're not giving a full effort that you're not like trying, but you're out there with your friends, with new people, you're supporting each other. It's a beautiful thing. It feels so good to be a part of a group um, on the bike and it's not, but that's not racing. Like racing is flat out. It's like, um, most people at an event like unbound are riding. And I think we just, but we, we give this term of gravel racing. It's like, really, we're just talking about the basics of how to have a good group ride. And that's like, people need that, that no man's land, I'm actually, do you think that it's a funny name there? I, man, I think it's a lot of guys in that group of like, it's men that are, cause still the, you know, if you look at the participant breakdown, it's still like 70% men at these races. And I think it's, this could be just a whole larger, just like societal conversation of just like, it's guys that, but they need to come together and, um, band up and, um, it's, um, it's, I think that they are the group that needs the most assistance. Cause like you said, in that mullet protocol, like the people in the back, they get it, they're having fun and they're doing it the right way. They're like eating pie at the rest stops, taking a swim at the, like when the opportunity arises, it's yeah, the they people take... that are caught yeah. in the middle yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, I guess I've, I've seen that as well. I mean, even I guess at a lot of these events, you know, we'll overlap people from a different course. You know, if you're doing the long course, you may catch the, you know, second distance or, you know, SBT, the, you know, it's kind of the same finish for all the different categories. And, 
you know, I guess it's hard because people who are oftentimes racing don't necessarily have a smile on their face, but it's the people who you catch from the 30 mile ride who have the biggest smile on their face and they're just out there cruising and, you know, they're having a great time and they've stopped at all the rest stops. And, you know, there, there is this kind of growing gap between the people at the front and the back, but that middle is like so full of people who are wanting to experience it. You know, they've, they've heard, and I think that's the biggest thing with, this discipline is people have heard about how great gravel is, you know, how fun these events are and they come to it and they don't really know what, where they fit in that space. Do they want to go and ride mm-hmm. and have fun? They you know they've been training hard. They want to race and they kind of get caught in this middle ground of like, well, I want to race, but I also want to have fun. And I feel like that's kind of the, it's becoming harder and harder to do both at the same time, you know, or to experience both pe- sides. People need to get this notion out of their heads that the people around them are their competition. Like the people around you are there to help inspire you and push you, but the competition is internal. And when you see your fellow rider as um, support and just someone um, to that you want to, you want to help them out and, they raise your game, you raise their game. And like, we're in this together, this camaraderie vibe that shifts it totally to like, you know, if we end up coming to the line together, sure. Let's sprint. Cause that's fun to do. But fundamentally we're out here doing this silly ass sport that just a few years ago didn't even exist. Um, let's do this thing together. And I think that was maybe the biggest problem that I saw as I was drifting back at unbound was just how, people would blow by me and not say anything, not like it was just this individualistic mentality of like, I got to get to the line. And it's just like, let's do this thing together. Um, Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, and that really is how bike racing works is you can, you know, use the people around you equally. They use you. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how bike racing works. You know, you, you take a pole and they take a pole and you, you benefit from each other. And I guess, yeah. you know, that's one way I've looked at a lot of these and people have asked me about the, especially the long events, like I would say 95% of the race is with, within yourself. You know, it's looking after your yeah. equipment, your body, your nutrition, you know, all that. And then maybe in the end, yes, there's a couple of times when you're racing your competition, but most of it is managing yourself. And I think people get so yeah. caught up in the energy of what's happening around them. They forget about, they forget to eat, they forget to drink, they forget to enjoy it to, you know say a joke to wave to someone to say hi um yeah it's it's easily lost in in kind of that scramble of the first few hours of an event okay i have a question for you it, let's go to an ideal world fantasy land unbound 2023 what does it feel like for you like how does the race go for you i mean i think i said this maybe to on ted's with my conversation with ted you know i I would, I could just wish that we could skip the whole first three hours, you know, because right. it, just because it's like, you know, you, I mean, I guess I can say this as someone who's up in the front, like you see people who, you know, are riding way too hard and you just yeah. see you like, you like, buddy, you are in, like, if you slowed down now, you would finish a lot quicker, but there's yeah. that meant, you know, cause this year I flatted in the first 20 miles, you know, I was like three and a half minutes behind the front group. So I was like riding through tons of people to get back up to the front. And I guess when you start talking about people like not using each other, 
you just see people like one by one, like 10 feet apart or 20 feet. I'm like, you, yeah. if you guys all, like if you're the person, yeah. if you just slowed down and waited for these people behind you, you would all move quicker. And I just saw people just like in a, in a single file line, but all, you know, 20 seconds apart. And it's like, you, uh-huh. guys, you could just come together. Um, you know, I guess going into Unbound this coming year, it'll be different again. I'm sure there'll be way more competition. It'll be way more stacked. Um, you know, I guess Remember my, we're in Fantasyland. Fantasyland. Well, what I want or what I... Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I really... I mean, I also still enjoy the competitive side of it. And like, it's hard to yes. say, like, let's say we did an elite race and there was... 100 or 200 riders like I, this would be mm-hmm. that would be i would love that you know because you know you also have a little bit more trust i would say in the riders you know this year as in most years there were some big crashes in the first 10 or 15 miles that are completely yeah. unnecessary you know it's people who you know everyone's just a little bit too excited and if, if you had if you yeah. broke that group down to 200 people or 300 people so if you're in third hundred if you're in you know 300th place you could still kind of see the front and you feel like it's accessible to kind of move up over the course of time. If you're 1500 people deep, you see people 10 minutes up the road and you're panicking and you're not really looking at the direct road in front of you. Um, so as someone who would be racing again, I would enjoy some type of safer start to the ride where yeah. it's, how hard is it for the first three hours? Well, and I, I, the funny, the ironic thing is if you make a group that is, you know, whatever, and I don't, I guess it becomes hard of like who gets into this group and who doesn't, yeah, you know? Sure. Um, and this year they did do this at Unbound. They did this pro, you got a pro sticker on your number if you wanted to start in the front. And I think they just handed them out to anyone who wanted them. And I don't think there was actually that many people who, who took them. But I think if you actually did that, it would make the beginning of the race slower than it actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of this, it's kind of this, um, I don't know, this like human mindset where like if someone half wheels you, you half wheel them. And like yes. the pace just keeps pushing up because, you know, someone's like, oh, I don't want to be behind this wheel. So they move up to the front and then someone else moves up ahead of them. And next thing you know, you're riding at 35 miles an hour, three miles into the event versus if you kind of could sense that there was a group and everyone felt comfortable and relaxed, it wouldn't be as crazy in the first, you know, the race would slowly string out over time rather than kind of just escalate until it all just shatters. People would be a little bit more comfortable. It would be definitely safer. Um, but again, I don't, it's hard to kind of define what's like the, and I think that's the coolest thing about gravel is that anyone on the start line has a chance to potentially do well. And all of a sudden you kind of eliminate someone who decides to knock at that pro sticker or someone who doesn't think they're that strong, but turns out they actually are strong enough to hang in the front. You kind of eliminate that, you know, big group mentality. I mean, even if you had the elite field start literally just two minutes ahead, it would change everything. You know, if you had the elite women start five minutes ahead and the elite men start two minutes ahead, like you still are all in the start line together, but you would just have that little bit of gap to kind of short, like, you know, shake things out a bit. Yeah, I think it'd be sweet to, um, it needs to be, whatever it is, like it needs a little adjust it, adjustment. Like last year I was like, okay, this, this is, um, it doesn't, didn't feel sustainable. Yeah. Well, and I guess, you know, that event also, in you think actually a lot of these events, they start off relatively, the course is relatively 
I don't say easy, but it's not, there's not a decisive moment. You know, I guess when I look at some of the events here in, in New England, you know, Rasputitsa and Vermont Overland and Rooted, they all have a huge climb within the first five minutes. So there's kind of this natural separation that happens. You know, I know that if, cool, if I hit it here, we'll have a front group of 20 and then you kind of, then you kind of settle into your pace and you feel comfortable. But at Unbound, there's just, there's not the geography to make that happen. SBT, it's the same. You know, you think, I think Belgium Waffle Ride San Diego has tried to do something to make it a little bit safer in the beginning, just to kind of space things out a little bit. But then if you have a group that's that big, you're also forcing people to take extreme risk in the first minute or two of the race to move up if they didn't get a good start spot or they didn't get a call up. Then they're trying to scramble to get to the front for the foot of this climb or for the first narrow section. I guess I just get excited about all these different styles of gravel events that are coming on the scene. Like, I think that your ride, the Fall Fondo, is awesome. Just these different styles of like, hey, at this rent, we're going to be super competitive. Here, we're not. We're just, this is a group ride or Grinduro style segment style rides. Um, I'm just looking forward to more iterations on in the space. Something that I actually really liked, um, Rafa has this style of riding, the Rafa Prestige, where you are in a team of four riders and you have to stay together all day and you're with these four people. Um, that was really fun event style. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking forward to more um creation of like what does this look like this mass group of people that all wants to do the same thing on a saturday like how do we do this together yeah and i mean speaking of like the the prestige series like that would be also a really cool thing and it kind of is like this rather than the teams of like you know a beginner a novice a expert rider all like what if you had a team of you know four riders even because then, yeah. you know, someone has a flat and you have to think critically, like it adds this element of like chess to the game. Like, okay, do we ride slowly? Do we all stop and help them? You know, I mean, it makes it much more dynamic. At the, at the aid station, can you have like one person who's maybe not feeling good? They keep going and you grab their bottles for them and then bring them up to them. Um, it would add this really cool element to the events. And like I said, I would, I would love to like see some events try some different strategies because really now is the time to, to make it to experiment with this. Yeah. I actually loved your idea. You, this I think was your idea that a group you have a, you have, there's a team of four, but it's the time of the third rider. So you have a sacrifice rider. Yeah, it's one um, sacrificial rider. That. <laughs> yeah. Like a team, like a 200 mile team pursuit. <laughs> yeah, yes. Wanna... It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, exactly. We need to be experimenting and, uh, cause like once things get set in, like the status quo is hard to break. People don't want to change. And, um, yeah, I think that if I was 19 right now, I'd be so psyched on the gravel space and just like what this could look like. And it's a really exciting time in cycling. And as different bikes are coming out with, you know, now a gravel bike is so capable and e-bikes coming on the scene what does that look like yeah it's a cool time and one thing that is like a, a topic that we haven't really touched on at all in any of these conversations is like the the presence of teams you know of, of gravel teams you know where you have you know five riders on the same team but if you make it a team sport where it is your th third you know time off your third rider teams are great you you need teams you need riders that have the same equipment that have the same you know 
cassette that have all the same stuff because it's all compatible with each other, which like, kind of solves that problem too of people being worried about what are teams going to do in Gravel. It's like, well, cool, let's not frown upon teams. Let's actually make teams. And, and, and maybe maybe it's a whole other series of events or maybe it's a certain category of events. Um, but I would love, I mean, I guess what I've found for me personally, what I've loved most in gravel racing is the ability to still express myself on the bike and ride hard with oftentimes my friends or people who I respect or I admire and we get to just jam for eight hours. And like once you're in that group and it just, it's selective, but with the team, you all, you get to do that from the beginning. You're already with your team and you're, you're, you're looking after these four people and you're like, Hey, we have to, you know, we have to stay together. We have to look out for each other. Um, so who knows? I mean, it, and it would also be fun. I think it would also for people who are even doing it at the back of the event, it would also provide them a sense of, you know, connection and camaraderie because you, you know, if you fix a flat and it's, you've never done it before, you hopefully have one of the people in your team who has done it before and they stop and help you and you guys, you do it all together rather than kind of being isolated and hoping that, you know, either your, your tire, you figure out how to use a tire plug or your someone stops to help you. Yeah. And, and that it seems like that that no man's zone needs teams. Um, they need something like they are the ones that need the most help. Um, and yeah, just letting it play out is not the way. Like we're watching that happen, and we just um, we need some promoters. We need people like yourself, though, with some serious influence to. Um, like what we're doing right now, speak up and share some ideas and like, let's do this thing. Let's, um, let's iterate this space in a way that is better for, for the sport. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And I think, um, you know, if anything I've learned through these conversations with yourself and Sarah and Ted is like, these conversations are good and they're meant to be brainstorming sessions. And like, let's, let's, let's try different things. Let's see what we can do rather than just kind of, let this and if it just keeps going the way it does that's fine you know people are going to love it people are going to hate it but i think it's worth at least trying because I mean, before too long marshall you and i are going to be in that no man's zone i mean we're we're not getting any yeah. younger and hopefully by the yeah. time we're in no man's land it's like the place you want to be you know it's the place where people are in groups and they're riding together and they're you know riding hard and fast still but still having fun and helping each other out right yeah and i think just something i listen to Sarah's your conversation with Sarah and just this idea that it's supposed to be fun. Um, let's all just remember why we're doing this, uh, why we're spending the money and the time to go through this whole thing. Um, it can be a really cool thing. And if we can just, uh, I don't know, it's just, um, we need to reconnect with our why and um this can be a really positive space and it is already it just um it needs some coaxing if it's gonna grow in a good way i think yeah well marshall i uh i appreciate it thank you for the time and hopefully uh who knows maybe we can put together a uh like a panel or something in in the new year and bring together several different minds and and brainstorm maybe we can get some event organizers on here and and kind of pitch some of these ideas over to them because i'm not sure if they listen to this podcast but i will send it to a few that i know and uh just see just see what they think and i mean it would be good to kind of hear their perspective as well on on some of these ideas 
Yeah, 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 totally. It's a pleasure to chop it up with you. And nerding out about bikes is something we've done for a long time and hopefully a long time more. Exactly. All right. Thanks, Marshall. Cheers, Boz. Well, there we have it, folks. Another episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I hope you all enjoyed today's show and my chat with my buddy Marshall Opal. A brainstorm session indeed. Uh, Some of these ideas just came to us as we were on air. And this oftentimes seems to be the case when Marshall and I catch up. We have ideas, but we don't necessarily have the power or the authority to bring these ideas to a table and actually implement them in any events. So if you're an event organizer, we'd love to hear your feedback on what we shared. If you're a participant of these events, or if you're a participant of any event, whether you've done some marathons, some triathlons, some Spartan races, and you've seen some strategies that have worked really well to make large participation events work and fun and safe and welcoming, I would love to hear from you. There is a link in the podcast description to a Google form where you can share an audio file and I'll put together an episode in the new year around some of the other ideas of how to continue to make gravel an awesome sport and a safe place and a fun place for everyone to gather, ride their bikes and have a great time. So I would love to hear from you. And until next time, folks, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll catch you back here next time on Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo.